All right, if you could, um, make sure, let's go to Psalm 23. We're going to be flipping around in our Bibles a little bit this morning, so be ready for that. Hopefully you have a handout, um, and thanks, Kenny, for the introduction, and it, it is a privilege to preach God's Word. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Um, you know, when Kenny originally asked me to preach on Psalm 23, I thought, well, that, that could either be, be really tough, or it could be kind of easy, you know, if you ask almost anybody in the world, if they know any Bible, they probably know Psalm 23. They've probably been to a funeral where it was read. It, they've maybe been to a wedding where it was read. I mean, it's just like Psalm 23 is everywhere. Like, it's on a t-shirt. I mean, everybody's seen it. So I thought, well, that's really tough because everybody kind of has an expectation of what Psalm 23 is about. But then at the same time, I thought sometimes those things that are most familiar to us are the things that we haven't really looked at closely. And so for me, I'm like, I've read Psalm 23. I could probably, you know, quote it and memorize, I have it memorized, but I've never really dug deep into it. And so I just pray that you come, you know, along with me on this journey, just with an open heart and open mind about Psalm 23. Take your expectations and just get rid of them and say, well, what's, you know, what's God got to say to us from Psalm 23? So let's read it together. Psalm 23 verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. God, we're, we're really thankful to be um, to be your children this morning, um, to be your sheep. God, we're really thankful for your word and for what it teaches us. Um, I'm thankful for Life Fellowship and all the things that are happening. God, the good things, the chances to, to get to know each other, the chances to get to know your word and, and share life together with you and with other believers. It's exciting. It's, it's good. It feels like the right place to be. I'm really thankful for that. Thank you for Psalm 23, God. I pray that you would teach it to us this morning. Um, I pray that the things that, even the expectations we might have about it, that we, would, that we would clear those out of our mind and we would just be ready for you to speak to us. So um, we're trusting you to lead us and guide us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So James Harriet was a, a veterinarian. He lived in England, to kind of the middle part of the 1900s. And if you have kids, um, hopefully you have some of his books and you've read them to your kids. He's got these great books. And in one of his books, he tells a story about uh, this lost, this little lamb. So there's a little boy, and this is a true story, so all of his stories are true stories. So, um, and they're all set in this like kind of quaint, picturesque, you know, middle 1900s England with cottages and brick pavement and just really beautiful place. And they're all illustrated really nice. So in this story, this little boy is, you know, he's the son of a farmer, a sheep farmer. And so he, he's always with his dad, helping with the sheep, helping with the other animals, just helping around the farm. And, and one day, it's really exciting because there's a new, um, I was going to say crop, there's a new, you know, there's, a, there's, there's new little lambs that are born. And, and the dad's, and they're looking at him together, and the dad says, how about you take responsibility for these two? These two are going to be yours. And he's really excited. He's like, yes, and he gives them names, and all of a sudden, they're his, and he takes ownership. Well, pretty soon, you know, the story shifts, and the lamb is out in the field, and this one lamb that, that this little boy has claimed, this lamb, you know, it's not like all the other lambs. He's decided that 
he doesn't really love being in the, in the enclosure. So this enclosure pictures stone fence on three sides, and there's a, a barbed wire fence on one side or a wire fence. And uh, the sheep has this little lamb. Everything in him wants to just get out. He's kind of bored being inside, right? It's safe and it's nice, but he's like, there's a great big world outside. So he works his way. Eventually, he gets underneath the wire and he gets out. And it's like, freedom, this is great. You know, he's, he's really excited about where he is. He's really happy about being free. And he's running around. He's playing. It's, it's great, right? Well, about an hour goes by and he realizes he's hungry. Well, you know, he's a little lamb, and so he still, you know, needs to get milk from his mom. So he, he looks back through the fence and realizes his sister's over there having a nice meal. And he's like, uh, it's lunchtime. I need this meal. So he's, he's looking around the fence, but he can't find the place where he got out. So he's stuck. Like, he's out. He can't get back in. All of a sudden, a dog comes down, comes down this country road, and Trying to get back in is not an option anymore. He has, to, he has to take off running. So the little lamb takes off running. He gets away from the dog, shoots under another fence into another field, and he's like, okay, I'm safe here. He looks up, and he came into the field of this massive bull. And so he's like, well, this thing is huge, so now I need to run some more. So he takes off running. So he gets out of that enclosure. He ends up on the street. He ends up in the little village. It starts snowing. I mean, this is... A, this is like quite the ordeal for this little lamb. And so he eventually, he's tired, he's cold, he lays down, it's snowing. Finally, this little girl comes home and the lamb is laying right at the, kind of the entrance to her gate, like to go into their house. And so she, uh, she notices it. So she picks up the lamb, brings it inside, gets out the hairdryer because she's like, this thing is frozen, it's gonna die. So slowly, slowly gets this thing warmed up, gets it some milk. At the end of the story, he ends up, they ended up figuring out where he came from. He gets back home, and it's a beautiful story. So he gets back into the, into the sheep fold. He gets back into his little pasture, and he's happy again. And the little boy is finally like, my, my lost sheep has returned. It's such a great story. And I think that where we're going with Psalm 23 today is we're going to talk about the Lord being our shepherd. And so if we talk about, as we talk about the Lord being our shepherd, that means that, you know, that means we are all sheep. And I think we all have in us a little bit of that, maybe the grass is greener outside of this pasture. Maybe this, this little Christian life that, that God has made, that we have made for ourselves, maybe it's getting a little bit boring and we want to rebel, we want to get out. And um, I think I, what I want us to learn today, what I want us to see today is that there's, there's so much safety, there's so much protection, there's so much potential for growth when we stay right where God wants us to be, when we stay in that field, when we stay there. So the, the question we're going to look at today is, and what we want to be thinking about today is, is the Lord your shepherd? I want you to ask yourself that question. Is the Lord really my shepherd? Because we start out Psalm 23 and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. So that's what we're going to answer today. Um, Kingsley Manuel, this quote is um, up there and, and on your paper. He said, Bible study without Bible experience is pointless. Knowing Psalm 23 is different from knowing the shepherd. And so my, my heart today, my prayer for us all is that we don't just know the passage today, but that we really learn to know the shepherd. We really learn to know the Lord in a deeper, more intimate way. Let's start out with why. Why are we studying this? Why in the world do we need to look at Psalm 23? Why do we need to know if God is our shepherd? Verse Okay, this answers it. So, 
Why? For, for his name's sake. Let's fill in our blank. For his name's sake. Um, people, people often ask Christians, you know, like, why in the world would you want to join a church? And probably all of us have had that conversation with our family where they're like, I think that you joined a cult. Has anybody had that experience where your family says, I think you're in a cult? Because, you know, MBT, we kind of expect a lot. Like, it's, it's, there's high expectations. I think we've all had people say that. So why in the world would I want someone to be my shepherd? Why in the world would I want to submit to leadership? Why would I want to close my... Why would I want, why would I want that? Well, the Bible, what, what he says um, in Psalm 23, says... You know, he leads me, in verse 3, says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. So the reason to submit to the Lord, the reason to walk this path, the reason to let God be your shepherd is really for God's own glory. It's for his name's sake. I think we, it's easy to think, well, you know, I, I want to be a sheep. I want to be a part of this because, you know, it's like a lot of people are doing it. It seems comfortable. It seems nice. It seems fun. Um, it gives my life purpose. It gives my life direction. I get to connect with good people. My marriage is going to improve. And these are all good things about following the Lord, about being a Christian. These are all, there's benefits, right? There's all kinds of benefits to, to, to having a relationship with the Lord, to, for him to be your shepherd. There's lots of benefits there. And, and those things are good and those things are important. But if our number one reason is not for God's glory, then we're missing the reason. We're missing it. And so I, I, I'm praying and I, and, I, and I hope that as we look at God being our shepherd, as we look at the Lord being our shepherd, that our motivation is so that we can glorify him, so that his name is exalted, so that his name is lifted up. We're going to look today at five characteristics um, of a shepherd, five, five things that will happen in your life if the Lord is your shepherd. The first one, number one, if the Lord is your shepherd, you allow him to lead you. You allow him to lead you. So lead is your blank. So Zechariah chapter 10 verse 2. Just listen along please. Zechariah 10 verse 2 says, For the idols have spoken vanity and the diviners have seen a lie and have told false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore they went their way as a flock. They were troubled because there was no shepherd. So when we're not being led, when, when people don't have a leader, when sheep don't have a shepherd, they are troubled. Remember in, in, in the book of Matthew, and Jesus looks out on the multitude and it says, he's moved with compassion. Why, why was he moved with compassion? In, in Matthew 9, 6 it says, he's moved with compassion because his people are scattered as sheep with no shepherd. So when we look and we see sheep with no shepherd, they're not being led. Um, they are, they're, they're, they're scattered, they're lost, they're broken. And so what does it mean to be a sheep? What does it mean to have God as your shepherd? It means that he leads you. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 46. So Genesis chapter 46 is the first time in our Bible that we see two key words to this passage. The two key words would be pasture and shepherd. So this is the first time we see it in the Bible. And there's this a principle of Bible study that says... If you, can, if you can find out the first time a, a word is mentioned, um, it's going to teach you some really important things about what that word means in the rest of Scripture. And just to be really transparent, sometimes preachers use this trick to say, well, I didn't really have time to study every appearance of the word, so I just looked at the first one. That, that might, I'm just saying that might happen sometimes. I don't know. If you've ever prepared a message 
and you're like, we're going to do a study on faith, and you look at it, and you're like, oh, it's 842 mentions. Okay, principle of first mention. Let's look at the first one, and we go right to that. And, and, and it's, it's still valuable, and, and the Lord is still teaching us. I will say I looked up every mention of shepherd. I did the work, so this is not me you know, trying to get out of work. Genesis chapter 46, verse 32 so what, there's just a little bit of context. What has happened is um, Joseph is getting ready, you know, to bring his people, um, the people that were far, the people that, you know, he had left behind. His brothers had sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. Years go by, he's a leader in Egypt, and then he's getting ready to bring his people into Egypt. And so he's got to, he's kind of explaining to them how this is going to look. And uh, in verse 32, it says this, it says, And the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass, when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, What is your occupation? That ye shall say, Thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. So, Joseph's family, the, people, the, 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 the group of people that becomes the nation of Israel, they're shepherds. That's what they've done since Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was, Abram was a shepherd. That's what his people have done. And, and Joseph is preparing his brothers to come to Egypt. And he's like, okay, you're a shepherd, but tell Pharaoh this. Tell him that your trade is about cattle. Like, what's your job? Are you a farmer? No, my trade is about crops. Are you a shepherd? No, my trade is about cattle. Like, they really wanted to avoid that word shepherd. And why did the Egyptians hate shepherds? I don't really know. Um, but here's what I think this is going to apply to us spiritually. Shepherds are an abomination to Egypt. Egypt is a picture in our Bible. It's a picture of the world. And so the world, the, the lost world, people that exist outside of church, that, that don't know Christ, that don't have the Lord as their shepherd, they look at people who are following shepherds, they look at shepherds and leaders, and those people are an abomination to them. We live in this world of ultra-individualism, right? Everybody gets to do whatever they want for themselves whenever they want to do it. And so to look at a group of people like us who say, you know, yeah, I make decisions based on what someone else said. I base decisions based on what my discipler says. I make decisions based on prayer and based on talking to God. When the world looks at that, that is strange to them. It's not only strange to them, they despise it. The world, you know, to, to, to the world, we are, we are an abomination and shepherds are an abomination. But this is, this is right where we as a people need to be. I think if, if we as Christians want to stand out in the world and we want, to, we want to be different from the world, right? That's what we're called to be, a peculiar people. One of the ways we can do that is by submitting to leadership, by submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ, by letting the Lord be our shepherd. And I think one way that we can do that and one thing that I, I think is really, really important it, what God does, he builds in a structure in our lives so that we have shepherds in our lives. And those shepherds are pastors and leaders that God has put into our lives. And so it, just a word of encouragement, if I can encourage you today, submit to the leadership that God has placed in your life. God has put them in your life for a reason. Um, they are not perfect. They are men. They're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes just like you and I will, but we need to submit to their leadership. God has put them in our lives 
for a reason. And nobody's, you know, I don't get paid to make a promotion for pastors. I don't get paid to make a promotion for leadership in church. But the Bible is very clear that God has put these people into our lives so that we can have leadership, so that we can have people that, that, that help us make decisions. Um, and the other thing I would say about that is let's learn to be good sheep. Uh, I, a lot of times what happens in churches is we as sheep, we make decisions to go away. We make decisions to not follow the Lord. We suffer the consequences for that. And then who do we blame? We blame the shepherds and pastors in our lives. Like, no, it's your fault that you went out of the, that you went out of the pasture. It's your fault that you escaped. It's your fault that you sinned. Take ownership for that and submit to leadership. Take ownership for that, repent, and come back. In John chapter 10, it's a beautiful story. John chapter 10 is where Jesus lays out this parable. It's, it's, a, it's this parable of him and the sheepfold. And so it's this beautiful story. And um, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit later, but what we can learn from that is there is safety in that sheepfold. There is safety in that enclosure. We need to stay in that enclosure. We need to stay there. And so God has put himself as the shepherd, and he's placed under shepherds as pastors. He's placed them under so that they can lead us as they connect with him. So let's, let's do that. Let's submit to leadership. Allow the Lord to lead you through the people that God has put into your life. So as, as we're talking about being led by God, I think an important question to ask is, well, where? Right? Where does God lead us? And in Psalm 23, it says he leads us where? It says, in the paths of righteousness. So in the paths of righteousness. And there's some really good reasons to follow the paths of righteousness. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 6, it says, Righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way, but wickedness overthroweth the sinner. So why should I follow the paths of righteousness? It says that it's going to keep you. That means it's going to maintain you. It's going to hold you up. It's going to keep you on the path. And I was, this is interesting to me because Psalm 23 says, you know, he leadeth me, um, in verse 3, it says, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. And I think we always think, well, isn't there only one path of righteousness? Isn't there only like one way to go? And if we talk about salvation, if we talk about how do I get to the person of Jesus Christ, how do I get saved? The Bible's clear. Jesus says, you know, John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. You know, there's, there's no other way to get to God except through Jesus. There's one mediator. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one name given under heaven by where which men can be saved. So salvation, there's one path to salvation. It's through Jesus. That's it. But once you're saved, the Bible teaches this really, this really interesting thing. It teaches that here it says that there are paths of righteousness. So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the McDonald's drive-thru. You know, you get to the McDonald's drive-thru, and there's two choices. And I like the sign that says, you know, any lane, any time. And have you ever sat there and thought, oh, you, you, you do the math, right? Like, which one of these is going to go more quickly? So you look ahead, and there's a minivan, and there's like nine kids in there, and you're like, this is going to take a long time to get through. But over here, there's only one person. And, you know, we all do this at Walmart. We all do this at the grocery store. Like, you got to evaluate, okay, so I look at the clerk at Walmart, and she seems really speedy. And so even if the person in front of me has a bunch of stuff, I'm going to that lane because she's going to move. Then I look over here, and this guy's a little bit slower. I'm not going to that lane, right? I'm like, I'm not going to take that one because 
he's a little bit slow. Now, are either of those paths right? Are either of those paths gonna give me a double cheeseburger, some french fries, and a Coke? Yeah, either one is. And so that's what's really awesome about the Lord. Once we're on the path of righteousness, sometimes there's more than one right answer to the questions we have about life, right? Sometimes there's, there, we, we get worked up like, God, what, what, can, what do I have to do here? And, and we, we worry about making these decisions, and decisions are important. We're on this path, we're on this, this road of righteousness, and we think, what can I do? And I think a lot of times it's, it's kind of like a, a highway with a bunch of lanes. And if you're in the far left one, you know, you're probably just want to speed like me. Like, that's why you get over there. Or maybe you stay in the right lane because you're like, my exit's coming up in three miles, so I got to stay in the right lane so I can exit quickly. Or, you know, maybe you're the middle lane. All those lanes are getting you where you need to go. And I think in, in, as, as we follow the Lord, there's, there's paths that we can take. Some of us are going to be led to work with kids. Some of us are going to be led to work with youth. Some of us are going to teach and preach. And some of us are going to disciple. And some of us are going to homeschool our kids. And some of us aren't. And some of us are going to lead marriage retreats. And some of us are going to... Are, those, are, are any of those right or wrong? I think if you're following the Lord, you're doing what's right. Let's look at Psalm 23. Um, sorry, Psalm 25 has uh, some, really, some really good things to say about this. Um, Psalm 25, it should be up on the screen for you if you can see it. Verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, it says, Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. So what do we learn about the paths of righteousness here? What do we learn about even decision making? We learn a couple of things. First of all, it, we got to trust the Lord for these things. we got to be in fellowship with the Lord. He says, show me thy ways, Lord. Teach me thy paths. We, got, we have to ask God about these decisions. We have to ask God about how do I best follow you? How do I best go where you want me to go? We have to rely on God to, to show us the way. The other thing that, that we need to see from this, at the end of verse 5, he says, on thee do I wait all the day. I think that it's really easy in our culture, in our lives, to hurry. We make decisions, we move, we move, we move, we move. There's even this teaching in Christianity, you know, like, God doesn't steer a parked car. And I think there's some truth to that. I think we got to get on the path, we need to be following him, we need to be walking in his word, we need to be going the general direction that God wants us to go. But I think sometimes we take that, that saying, God doesn't move a parked car or steer a parked car, and we say, well, God must want me to go 110 miles per hour, and then he'll just steer me along the way. But I really like verse, at the end of verse 5 where he says, on thee do I wait all the day. Maybe you're on the path of righteousness, and you don't know decisions to make, or you're not sure what to do, or you don't know what ministry to get involved in. I would just encourage you to wait. That's where God wants you to be. Psalm 23 is not really a psalm of action, right? There's not a lot happening. There's still waters. There's green pasture. Like, it's, it's chill. Like, he's hanging out. He's not working. He's not doing ministry. He's not talking about, how do I fulfill God's will for my life? He's waiting. I just read a, a book by Phil Vischer. So Phil Vischer's the guy that did all of the VeggieTales videos and movie, and then now he does, I think he's got a company called Jellyfish or something, does some other kids teaching. 
But it's, it was a really good story. Um, so what happened was Phil Vischer, he started VeggieTales. He started this company called Big Idea years ago, uh, like in the 90s. And he was like one of the first people in the world to do some of this animation stuff that he was doing. Um, really cutting edge. He was a really smart guy. Well, what happened was VeggieTales got really successful. Like from, their, from one year to the next, I think it was from like 98 to 99, their sales increased by like 3,000%. I mean, it just went through the roof. Like at one point, VeggieTales was the most popular like video series in the, like in the nation out of everybody, like out of every kind of video, not just Christian videos, but in any video of any genre. So his company just exploded. And what happened was he's seen all of this, and, and, and it, it, what, it, what Phil wanted to do is he wanted to be the Walt Disney of Christian filmmaking, of Christian entertainment. So what does Walt Disney do? He builds this empire, he builds a theme park. I mean, Disney's huge, right? Worldwide, everybody knows it. And so Phil's like, I'm gonna get there, I'm gonna get there, I'm gonna get there. He's making decisions, making decisions, making decisions. His company's growing, but what's happening is he's hiring people that aren't even Christians at some point. And what he wanted to do was make a difference for Christ through entertainment. Like he wanted, he recognized the value of these Bible stories and he wanted to get those to people, especially to kids in a creative way. Well, he lost sight of that as the company started to grow. So um, I don't know if you remember the, the Jonah movie. So VeggieTales made a full feature film, Jonah, and uh, it kind of tanked. They lost millions on it and that was kind of the last straw that broke the camel's back. So shortly after that, the company also was in a lawsuit. They, they lost millions over there. They lost millions on a building project. They had to file for bankruptcy, lay everybody off. It was over. And when it, as Phil Vischer looks back on this story of his life, he says, I was in such a hurry to be so successful for the Lord that I didn't wait on the Lord and I compromised my values. He compromised righteousness so that he could make a big impact for the Lord. So as we make decisions, as the Lord leads us in the paths of righteousness, we can never compromise that righteousness because we want to grow, because we want to move, because we want to do something big for the Lord. It's okay to wait. Same Psalm, chapter 25, verse 9, says, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimony. So some more principles about following the Lord, about letting the Lord follow us. We need to remain meek. We need to maintain this meek attitude. And I think as long as our path is full of mercy and truth, the truth of God's word, then we're on the right track. Verse 12, same chapter, says, what man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. So as we're walking in the fear of the Lord, as we're worshiping him, as we're reverencing him, we put him in, his right, in the right position I really like this because it says, him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. So we choose the path, right? And then when we're on the path, God's going to teach us along the way. God's going to teach us along the way. So um, it, the first thing we look at today is if the Lord is our shepherd, he'll lead us, right? Where is he going to lead us? In the paths of righteousness. I think it's... Uh, I think with, with like moral decisions, when we look at decisions and say, is this right or wrong biblically? I, there are some gray areas in the Bible. But for the most part, I'd say by and large, 
making moral decisions, we almost always know instinctively what is right and what is wrong. Like we, it, it's very clear most of the time. Um, there's some other decisions we need to make that are a little bit more gray, that are a little bit more difficult, but we can never go wrong if we remain on those paths of righteousness. So stay on the path of righteousness. Let the Lord lead you there. Number two, if the Lord is your shepherd, you allow him to feed you, to feed you. So don't get too impressed. The first two, the first two words rhyme, feed and lead. After this, it's just, it's out. So you can quit listening after number two. Number two, he, we'll allow him to feed us. How do, where do we get this, right? Well, in, in this passage in Psalm 23, what do we see? We see green pastures and we see still waters. Um, does anybody do this? Like you go to the grocery store, you make this plan for the week, like we're going to be healthy this week. And so you go to the grocery store and you spend most of your time in the produce section. You're like lettuce and vegetables and fruit. And you're like, this is going to be a good week. And you get it all home and a week goes by, two, three weeks go by. And you know that crisper in the bottom of your, of the bottom of your fridge? We all got those, right? You open it and the lettuce that once was green is now... It's kind of brown, and there's like liquid in there. <laughs> there's like that water that, you know, and you pick it up, and you're like, well, so much for being healthy this month. It didn't work out, right? So <laughs> when, when things are brown, you know, we don't eat them. Like, stay away from that. Don't eat that lettuce. It's not going to be good for you. And in the Bible, when we see this, God gives all this imagery of, of land, right? And he talks about all this land that's desolate, this land that is brown, this land that is just barren. There's nothing growing there. Well, what has happened is God's judgment has come on that land. He said, I'm not going to allow anything to grow. There's not going to be any green here because I'm, I'm judging it. Um, we need to get to the places where there's green pasture. And I'm really encouraged, I'm really thankful to be a part of a church that is a green pasture. There is so much teaching of God's word. There is so much life here. There is so much goodness. There is so much to graze on. We, we, never, we should never have that brown lettuce. Like that, that should never be a part of our spiritual lives because we have so much good teaching. Not to mention the fact that every day when you open God's word, he's going to feed you. It's there for you. It's good for you. You know, I think shepherds, shepherds and people that take care of animals, they're very intentional about feeding their flocks. They're very intentional about making sure that the flock survives. Why? Well, their survival depends on it. Like my uncle, when I was growing up, so my, my grandpa was a cattle farmer and then passed it on to my uncle. Now my cousin does it. Now his kid, it's like almost in the fourth generation cattle farming. Well, I remember... Christmas. We'd go over to, at Christmas time, we'd go over, everybody's around, I've got all my cousins, we're all hanging out, it's fun. And all of a sudden we'd look over and say, well, where's Uncle Paul? Well, Uncle Paul had to go do chores. You mean on Christmas Day? Yeah. You mean on Christmas Day when it's 10 degrees outside? Yeah. They got to eat. The cattle have to eat. The sheep have to eat. We have to eat. Like, we have to be intentional about getting to the green, uh, getting to the green fields, getting to the green pastures. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. I believe it's up here. Yeah, Ecclesiastes 12 says this. 
says, The words of the wise are as goads, and his nails fastened by the master of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And so what he's saying is, okay, there's, there's one shepherd, and he's made this goad. Right, shepherds use these to poke and prod their animals back to where they need to be. And this, he's, he's saying that these goads, this poking, this prodding from the shepherd, these are words of wisdom. These are words of wisdom. Sometimes words of wisdom, they really hurt us. They really poke us. They really aggravate us. Have you ever sat in a service and as someone is preaching, you thought, how did, how, wh- did you check my email? Like, did you look at my Facebook page? How did the pastor know what I was doing in my life? How did the pastor know what was going on with me? How d- what happens is God uses pastors to teach us the word of God, to poke us and prod us in the right places so that we could stay on the path of righteousness, so that we can be fed. At the end of this passage in Ecclesiastes, he says, of making many books, there is no end. In 2019, there were over 2 million books published worldwide. 2 million books were published in one year. Of making many books, there is no end. We can find wisdom wherever we want it. You can read whatever you want. You can listen to podcasts. You can do your, like, there is so much wisdom out there. Let's, let's make sure that we're going back to the words of wisdom. Did you know that every minute of every day, there are 500 hours of content uploaded to YouTube? Every minute of every day, there's 500 hours of content uploaded to YouTube. You, you could get every computer in the world going on YouTube and never watch all of the material on YouTube. You just can't do it. Um, anybody into Pinterest? I, there's some guys out there that are into Pinterest, so if you're ashamed of that, you know, it's okay. I would be too. <laughs> on Pinterest, there are 200 billion pins. 200 billion you will never get to the end of Pinterest, and that's how it's designed. It's designed for that eternal scroll that just, you just keep going. It just keeps coming up with new stuff. It's just there. I don't really know what this means, but on Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and Facebook, the four big you know, tech giants, there's 1.2 million terabytes of data. That's like 1.2 with a lot of zeros behind it. That's a lot of data. My point is there's that what, what Ecclesiastes said, says is, much study is a weariness of the flesh. You can, get on rab- you can get down rabbit holes. You can chase stuff on YouTube. You can chase stuff on Facebook and Pinterest. You can chase good information all over the internet. And it's going to lead you to weariness of the flesh if we're not grounded in God's word. Something that happens, I think, a lot in our world, it's what I call, and some, I don't know who told me this, uh, this analogy, they call it um, paralysis by analysis, right? We have so much information, like what restaurant should we go to tonight? Well, let's Google it. Best restaurants in name a town. Okay, let's Google it. You will, you'll, you'll die of starvation before you come to the right answer. Like there is so much information out there. And that's so true in our lives, too. There's so much information about how we should act and what we should do and, 
and how we should be fed, right? We feed ourselves with so much, and most of it is just, we're just gonna, we're just gonna analyze it until we're paralyzed and we do nothing. Let's make decisions based on what the Word of God says. As we allow Him to lead us, as we allow Him to feed us, we'll make better, we're gonna make decisions that, that are on the paths of righteousness. Number three, we gotta hustle. Number three, if the Lord is your shepherd, you allow him to satisfy you. Psalm 23 verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That phrase, I shall not want, what it means is I have everything I need. It doesn't mean I, I won't want things. What it means is I lack nothing. If the Lord is your shepherd, you lack nothing. I think what that means is that we come to the realization that we lack nothing, right? Especially in our culture, especially in our world, all this information, all this supplies, all this physical provision that we have, it's, we're, we're never satisfied. Like we, we always want more. The, Ecclesiastes says the flesh is never satisfied. The eyes of man are never satisfied. There's always more that we want, that we think that we need. And so much of our lives is driven by that, right? So much of our lives is driven by, well, I think I really need this. I really need fill in the blank right now. And that can be as small as Andy's ice cream, and that can be as big as I need this new house, or I need this promotion. I want this. This is, well, here's what God says. He says, if the Lord is your shepherd, you don't want. You've got everything that you need. Philippians 4.11 Paul says this, he says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Learning, to, being content is a learned behavior. It's something that we learn over time. 1 Timothy 6, 8 says, and having food and raiment, let us therewith, let us be therewith content. What do we need in life? Paul says we need two things. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, we need food and clothes. With those two things, we should be content. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 is where Jesus is laying out. You know, he's talking about the birds of the, of, that, are, that are clothed in this beautiful arraignment and the lilies of the field and how beautiful they are and how, uh, you know, grass is growing and it's beautiful. And there's, uh, he's laying all this out. And at the end, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says, and all these things will be added unto you. What are all these things? We read that verse, like we read Matthew 6, 33 and think, God's going to give me all the things. What are all the things? Whatever you want. That's what Christianity is about. Everything you want. What's the context of Matthew chapter 6? The context is you need food and clothing. So what are all these things that are going to be added to me when I seek the Lord? Food and clothes. That's the answer. Not the promotion, not the good job, not the car, not the house. Can those things come and are those things bad? Yeah, they can come and they're not necessarily bad. But our expectation is that we get what we need. We have what we need. John chapter 10 is, like I told you earlier, that passage where Jesus is explaining the sheep, right? And where they live and how he's the shepherd and he comes out and goes in. And John 10, 10 is a really famous verse where Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And we read that passage in like Matthew 6, we think Christians should have an abundant life of just physical things. We should have all this stuff. But think about the context of John chapter 10. He's talking about sheep having an abundant life. Okay, what's an abundant life for a sheep? It's probably like grass 
water, and not being eaten by a wolf. Like, that's probably an abundant life for a sheep. So what's an abundant life for a Christian? Um, green grass, uh, the green grass of God's word, the, the water of God's word, and some, some other Christians that help protect us from the enemy. That's an abundant life for a Christian. We, we get all these expectations that it's all these physical things. It's not. Sorry to disappoint you. Number four, we'll move quickly through the last two. If the Lord is your shepherd, you allow him to restore you. To restore you. Verse 3, Psalm 23, verse 3 says, He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. And I like how he says, um, in verse 2 he says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. God loves you so much that he will make you rest. He will force it. When our kids were little, you know, if you, if you had little kids or you have them now, you know they get in that, if they get to that afternoon stage where they're like really cranky and really angry and really just cantankerous, what's the best thing for them? It's a nap. Yeah, they need to rest. Like, go to your room and lay down. Dad, I don't want to. Go to your room and lay down. And they come out and they're like a new person, like a new kid. And like, as an adult, I'm the same. Like, I get mad and cranky about things and... Um, sometimes if I just sleep for 10 minutes, like, oh, I'm restored. Things are better. So how does this restoration happen? It comes by lying down in green pastures. It comes by being beside the still waters. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Restoration is going to come through rest. Psalm 23 is not talking about hard work it's not talking about our mission. It's not talking about our ministry. It's about quietness. It's about having this restored soul. And the, the, Bible, um, the Bible uses the word restore a lot. In the New Testament, when Jesus heals someone, their sight is restored to them. Or the man with the withered hand, his hand was restored. It was broken, and now it's whole again. The guy who was blind, and now he can see. And what do we do as Christians? We get busy. We get into our activities, we get into our ministries, and we go and we go and we go and we go and we get tired. And if we're not constantly letting the Lord restore us, we're going to be ragged. I did some research. Um, this is the great part about teaching about sheep is, you know, you get to do research on sheep. So I'm doing research about sheep and about, you know, what are sheep for? Sheep are for wool and for milk and to make more sheep. And, you know, lamb chops, okay, that's, that's an important one too. But how do we get the very best wool from a sheep? To get the very best wool, you have to take really good care of that sheep. You have to give it the right nutrition, you have to keep it safe, um, you have to make sure that it doesn't have a lot of stress in its life, which that's interesting to me, like, are there sheep psychologists that talk to the sheep about stress in their life? Like, wh how do we know that, right? How do we know, maybe you could expand your business to sheep, John, like, get that interaction going. I, like, how does that work? But stresses of life cause different growth in the, in the wool of the sheep, right? And, and it's so true for us, too. Like, we go through stress, we go through difficulty, we go through hard work, and we don't realize it, but we're ragged. Like, our, our coats are gross. They're all matted, and there's sections missing. And to restore that, we need to rest. We need to eat well. We need to drink well. We need to have good nutrition. We need to have help. We need to have people protecting us. We need all the things that a sheep needs, and we need to constantly get that restoration. There's all kinds of promises in the Bible about God restoring his flock, 
about God. So that, you know, God's people, the nation of Israel, are his flock. They're his people. He says he is the shepherd. So all these, there's all these uh, prophecies about him restoring his people. And a lot of those, you know, it talks about how God's going to restore his people and he's going to give them food. He's going to give them water. He's going to give them rest. Um, there's one passage that says he's actually going to force them. In, in Ezekiel chapter 34, he says he's going to cause them to lie down. He's going to cause them to rest. And I think a mistake that we make in, in our lives is that we get so busy that we don't take time to rest and get restored. And so God has to intervene and force us to. And you, you hear that a lot about CEOs and people that are, that are busy, people that are high achievers. What happens? At 45, they have a heart attack, right? Something, some big catastrophe happens in their life and they realize it's time to slow down. So let's be proactive about that. Get the restoration we need as we're following the Lord, as he's leading us and feeding us. Number five, this is our last point today. If the Lord is your shepherd, you allow him to know you, to know you. Psalm 23 is this intimate passage. So what does this mean? This means that the Lord goes out and he comes in among you. In Numbers chapter 27, Moses is getting ready. He's passing the mantle on to Joshua. And what he says about Joshua is he says, I'm going to ordain Joshua to be the shepherd, to be the man that comes in, that comes in, that, that goes out and comes in among the people. He's there. You ever seen a really, uh, a really good person who knows how to work a room? And you see a big crowd, and this guy's going through, and he's high-fiving here, and he's giving this guy a hug, and he's praying with this person, and he's, he's just going out. He's just knowing people. He's just in the room. And it's not superficial, because there's people that do that, and it's real superficial, and you think, you're, you're fake. There's other people that do it, and you're like, this guy is ordained of God. He is chosen of God. He has this gift to connect, to know people. That's how we need to be with the Lord. We need to allow him to, to come into our lives, to go out, to be a part of the daily decisions, of the daily things that we do. John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. And in that passage in John chapter 10, it talks about there's this sheepfold. It's this area where the sheep stay for the night. And there might be multiple flocks in there. So maybe, you know, this shepherd has a flock over here and this shepherd has a flock over here. This shepherd has a flock over here. They're all in the sheepfold. And the, sh the sheep that belong, to this sh that belong to this flock, they know the voice of their shepherd. And if, if I come in and I say, hey, sheep, follow me, they don't know my voice, so they don't listen to me. And if I go over here, so there's this really intimate connection between the sheep and the shepherd, and it's really beautiful. And I think as Christians, we need to get to the spot where we recognize God's voice and God recognizes our voice because we talk to him, because we pray to him, because we have a relationship with him. Let's wrap it up in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 through 15. Um, I'm going to turn there. I think I put it on the screen. If you just want to listen, you can. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. says, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. 
Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. So here we have this description of the Lord, of this, this description of God as a shepherd. And what it's saying at the end is it's saying, says the nations are as a drop of a bucket. So God looks at the nations of the earth and they're the size of a drop in the bottom of a bucket. It says the isles are a very little thing. Earlier it says, who has measured the water in the hollow of God's hand? So you know when you hold some water in your hand and you get the little cracks and there's like a little bit of water in there and it stays for a little while? Like that's how much we can hold, like a few drops. It says what God holds in the hollow of his hand, we can't even measure it. It's, it's not even fathomable to us. We, they're, they're, like we, can't even, we can't even get a hold of it. So this is how big God is. This is the Lord. This is God. What does it say about his about his flock. Verse 11. It says, He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. So the God that we're allowing to be our shepherd is so big that the water he holds in the hollow of his hand, we can't even measure it. And yet, he is so gentle that he holds us right here in his arm. He takes us he takes us and he's, he, we're close to him. It says he gently leads us. This is the shepherd that we get to follow. This is the shepherd that we get to submit to. And so my, my prayer for us today is that we can examine these five things and say, in what area of my life am I not allowing the Lord to shepherd me? God is so worth following. He's so worth being right with. He's so worth like, just having a relationship with because he wants to hold you gently in his arm. And let's remember why we allow this shepherd in our life. It's all for his name's sake. Next week, we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the second half of, chapter, of Psalm chapter 23. Let's pray together. God, thanks for being our shepherd. I'm amazed at how big and strong and powerful, mighty you are, and yet, you love us enough to hold us gently in your arms, um, to lead us gently like a little sheep, like a little baby. Um, and you don't crush us in that. You just hold us there and you love us. And so I pray today that you would restore us, restore those that um, are hurting, that are lost, that are broken. Restore us through your word. I pray that you would help us. Lord, allow us um, to, to be led by you, to be fed by you, to be restored by you. Um, I pray that you would satisfy us, Lord, um, through your word and through the things that you have for us. And we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.